In our study of Ephesians, we're kind of jumping around, but uh, I introduced uh, Ephesians a few weeks ago, and what we're doing is uh, going to chapter 5. We're going to learn a lot from chapter 5. We're going to spend a lot of weeks on chapter 5, uh, look at this in detail, and it, it flows from, from Ephesians 2, that we are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ, and we are then to do good works, as Paul says in chapter 2, and we're learning then the good works that God expects of us and that we want to do in holy marriage. So if you'll look at the first, first uh, page of the sheet, it has the text, Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 33. Here we go. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now Paul just quoted Genesis 2 there, which is foundational. Now verse 32. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we observed last week from Ephesians 5 that there are verbs here that go with the, with the wife and there's a verb that goes with the husband. The verb that goes with the husband is love. And the model for that love is Christ loving his bride, the church, dying for her. And uh, the verbs that go with the wife are submit and respect. And as we continue with our study, we're going to learn what those words mean because Americans hear the, hear the verb submit and they freak out because they don't know what that means. And men, of course, don't, don't know what it means either and they abuse it. So we're going to try and clarify that and I'm going to try and edify you with the clarifications. But we have also observed, if you look at page three of your sheet, we observe that marriage is like a covenant, and it is a covenant that two people make between each other to be faithful to each other. We observed last week, and I, I, I think I heard a lot of jaws hit the floor last week. There was a bunch of thuds I heard last week when I said and taught you that marriage is based on fidelity and not on feelings. Now, that doesn't mean that feelings aren't involved, but if you're going to base your marriage only on feelings, well, guess what happens? Well, I'm Gandhi. Because my feelings in my marriage, just like yours, some days it's good, some days it's not so good. So if, if I'm having more bad days than I'm good, and I base my marriage on feelings, I'm gone. I'm getting out of it. I don't need those bad feelings all the time. And what I wanted to push, and the marriage vows in the service, next time you go to a wedding service that uses the traditional wedding vows, the guts of the wedding vow, faithfulness to one another. That's the guts of it. That's why, <laughs> that, 
Here we go. The jaws are going to hit the floor again. That's why when couples come to me and they say, we want to get married, they say, sure, I want to help you with that. And we, we do premarital work. And the, and the couple sometimes says, we want to write our own marriage vows. <laughs> and Coolman politely smiles and snickers and says, sorry, you ain't doing that. Because here's what happens. If pastor lets the couple write their own wedding vows, generally speaking, the wedding vows will not be based on scripture. They'll be based on feelings. Watch Days of Our Lives. Watch General Hospital. Right? Or Ryan's Hope. Is that still on? Ryan's Hope? Good grief, that's probably long gone. And every wedding on the soap operas, it's all, all the vows are based, they write their own vows, and it's all based on feelings. My point is this, is that we have to learn and we have to teach people that wedding vows are all about faithfulness, and it's based upon God's word, which we're going to learn uh, over the next few weeks. Now let's keep moving on page three. I also observed last week that marriage is an ordering. So I'm about three quarters of the way down on the sheet, where it says marriage is an ordering. Now that's based on Genesis, you remember? Genesis 1, he created them male and female. That's an ordering. Genesis 2, he brings Eve to Adam. Remember, he creates Eve from Adam's side. God marries them. And that's why God then says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Paul quotes that in Ephesians 5. Jesus quotes that in Matthew 19 and the other parallel accounts. So Genesis 2 that I just quoted is central, and it's the ordering. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3, everything now is in disorder, including marriage. It's all out of order. So one of the things that Jesus does with his suffering, death, and resurrection is through that redemption, through that salvation, he then reorders everything the way it's supposed to be. And that's why Paul says what he says in Ephesians 5. That husbands are to love their wives and wives are to submit and respect their husbands. Because that's how God designed it from the beginning. So Jesus, what he does, many things that he does, but in our topic here today about marriage, is he now reorders marriage in the way that it's supposed to be. And it's all for our benefit. <laughs> it's all for our good. So I'm going to read now on page three that paragraph that says marriage is ordering. It puts our being male and female back in order again. Why? Because sin brought disorder and chaos into the creation and into every aspect of our humanity, and that includes our sexuality. Nothing so illustrates how deep the condition of sin is than how distorted and perverse the desire of the sexes for each other has become. And so Jesus comes redeems a fallen humanity as the second and last Adam. And one of the things that he does is restores holy marriage, namely how a man and a woman are to live together in holy marriage. Okay? And so wives are to submit to their husbands. That's the next paragraph. Now, when I say the wife is second rank to her husband, I'm not talking about a power thing. I'm not saying that the, the husband is the boss. He's the head as Ephesians 5. The husband is the head of the wife, just as the head of the husband is Christ himself, and just as the head of Christ is God the Father. So for the next few weeks, we're going to learn what headship means. It doesn't mean, I'm the boss, you do everything I tell you. It's not what it means. And that's where men in America have abused this, 
And this is why women, when they hear this text, flee and run. Now I'm going to tell you a true story. And I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep the names off to protect the innocent, if you will, to, to quote, uh, uh, what was the show? The long show, the Los Angeles Police Department. What was that called? Dragnet. The names have been changed. All right. Uh, so I'll never forget this. I, and no joke, I'll have Alzheimer's in a couple of years. You'll come visit me in the nursing home, and I'll still be telling this story. Okay? Because I'll never forget it. As I was teaching a couple for, for marriage and doing premarital classes, we studied these texts, Ephesians 5, Matthew 19, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and other things. And the, 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 the woman, hearing Ephesians 5 here, wives are to submit to their husbands. She said, I will never submit to him. So I said, well, let me explain what this means. You chew on it. Let's talk again next week. Okay? She said, okay, I'll do that. So came back. Nope, I will not submit to him. Well, you think about it some more. I explained it again. You think about it some more. So let's meet back in about two or three weeks. And we did. Same conversation, same answer. I will not submit to him. And I finally said something to this effect. Do you really mean that? Yes, that's right. I will never do it. Even, even after I've taught you what it means, I will not do it. So I finally had to tell this, this young lady, then you're not ready to be married. It didn't go well. That's right, it did not go well. Now here's the point. She did not want to live in God's beneficial order between a husband and a wife. And so I told her, I said, I'm sorry to hear that. I wish you would rethink and reconsider and listen to the word of God. Now that was the last time we were able to meet and of course then they went down Highway 50 and got married down there. Because the pastor down there was certainly not gonna teach God's word on this topic and was not gonna help her in this way at all. The point I'm trying to make, and not very well, so you have to have mercy on me, is if you won't listen to the scriptures on this point, you're going to live in disorder and your marriage is going to crash and burn. Let me put it another way. Now, I'm making a general sweeping statement. I have to do that to make my points, you know. You're, you know that, right? Say, we live in a country now, and again, general statement to make my general point. We live in a country now where women don't want to be women anymore. They want to be what? Men! And that's not an exaggeration. Now, I'm going I'm to overemphasize my point here. I'm going to exaggerate to make my point. That second wave feminism, if you don't know what that is, you just Google it and look it up, and you can get all the details. Second wave feminism. Like, for example, I mentioned some names last week. Betty Friedan. If you don't know who she is, well, God bless you. Ignorance is bliss. Or Gloria Steinem. You've all heard of Gloria. Oh, of course you are. You've all heard of Gloria, you older folks, like me. This second wave feminism is all about equality in the sense that women must be like men. Now, on the one hand, should a woman get equal pay for equal work? Sure. Not arguing that at all. Should women have the right to vote? Absolutely they should. But what's happened over the years, it's devolved. Where women no longer want to be women, they want to be and when that happens, you can't be married. And that's why this young woman said, I will never submit to this man as husband. Huh. I don't know what happened to their marriage, but my guess is they crashed and burned. In any event, let me continue to read. So again, when Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands, that doesn't mean that the husband's the boss. It's just that he's the head. And since, let me, make, let me just whet your appetite. Headship in the Bible is not about being the boss. Headship in the Bible 
whether it's a husband to the wife, or whether it's Christ to the husband, or whether it's the father as head of Christ, headship means service. I just heard a bunch of jaws hit the floor again. Headship means how can I serve you? How can I help you? Because I want to I benefit you. I want to be of help to you. So wives, submit to your husbands. And notice the text says, as to the Lord. That means the Lord Jesus Christ will use the husband to be his hands and his mouth and his body to take care of the wife. And when the husband knows this and does the best that he can to do this, namely to be like Christ to his wife as a servant, as a minister in that sense, servant, then the wife will order her life in that way and receive his service and ministry as husband. So again, repeat, headship means I'm here to serve you, to take care of you. Like Adam did before Genesis 3, Adam took care of his wife. His whole life revolved around her. What can I do for you? How can I help you? Make sense? That's headship. Now, when husbands don't do that, then marriages. Got it? So submit then, and we're going to look at this in detail later, but I'm going to just whet your appetite. We heard when we studied Romans, remember Romans 13? Citizens are to, what was the verb? Submit to those in authority. Do you remember that? Do you remember when we looked at Hebrews 13, when we studied Romans 13? Remember that? If you're a member of a congregation, there's that verb again. So Ephesians 5, the verb is this. Other translations have another verb, but we'll just use this, submit. So Ephesians 5, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Hebrews 13, if you're a member of a congregation, you are to submit to the leadership of the pastor. Romans 13, if you're a citizen, you are to submit to the authority of the governing authorities. So this verb is used in all three of the estates that God's established. Church, family, and the civil realm. And so submit means I'm going to order my life accordingly. So in the, in the family realm, the wife will order her life as wife to her husband, which means you ain't single, you ain't single anymore. You're married, and you live accordingly. Make sense? Because if you, if you two decide, I'm just having fun with you here. If you two decide to live like single women 24-7, 365, he and your husband's going to meet somebody at Walmart or the gas station and say, see ya. <laughs> I'm you know, no joke, this happens all the time. <laughs> or Target, huh? Yeah, the Target there. Yeah, Target. There's this thing. Are you talking about the Target dads? Have you seen that stuff? Yeah, do a Google search on the Target dads. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Alright, that's simply to whet your appetite. A little bit about what headship means, etc. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to read now on page three again. So he's not the boss, he's the head. And she's not a slave, she's the body. So a marriage has a head and a body. The husband's the head of the marriage, the wife is the body of the marriage. And here's my point. If you have a headless marriage, crash and burn. If you have a bodiless head, crash and burn. This is the order and so Christ has come to redeem us so that we can live properly in the order that he designed it from the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2. Let me continue to read. The two then work together like a, and I love this analogy, like a dance. 
He leads, she follows. But in leading, he doesn't force her steps, force her to steps she can't take, <coughs> or to rhythms that are foreign to her. Instead, he's completely attuned to her moods and needs until he conforms his steps to her gait. He leads, but never with power or force or co coercion, but rather gently and wisely, moving in conformity with her graces. So what I'm trying to say is use this analogy. <clears throat> Husbands, head, wife, the body. Think of it like a dance. Husbands, you are to lead, and wives, you are to follow. Okay? Make sense? Because, you know, you know, if I can't dance very well, so you know, I'm always step on Robin's feet. Next paragraph, she follows. Now, here's, here's the thing that we struggle with every day, whether you're a Christian man or a Christian woman. The Christian man, because he still has that sinful flesh hanging around his neck, and neck he doesn't want to lead. He does not want to lead. He does not want to be the head of the family. And the wife, who's supposed to follow, her old sinful nature says, I'll take control, I'll run the show, you know? And then you've got this going on. The old Eve, that means the sinful nature, wants to lead, but that won't work. Eve follows Adam. And let's not forget how the, the order in which they were created. Who was formed first? Adam was formed first, and it was from his side that God formed Eve. And it's that order, that, that right there, the order of creation then sets the matrix in nature. That the man and the husband is to lead, and she is to follow his lead. Why? Because he's going to take care of her. So this doesn't mean that you're, you're inferior to the man, ladies. That's not the point. You're not inferior to the man. Because you're both made in God's image. Okay? The son, you remember, I'm reading the very bottom of page 3. Jesus, the son, is subordinate or submits to his father. That's 1 Corinthians 11, 3, and I've got it there at the bottom. Paul says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. I'm going to pause there for just a moment. I think one of the crises in this country and in the church is that sentence right there that no one knows anymore. And if people know it, they don't want to live accordingly. Here, let me put it to you this way. So, um, Aisley, that we have a young lady here, Ella. Okay, and we've got a couple young ladies teaching Sunday school. You young ladies, when you start dating, I don't care how hot the guy is from California. Okay, I don't care how hot he is. Okay? But if this, if this man will not live as a Christian man, according to this text, who's the man's head? What's the text say that I just quoted from 1 Corinthians? Christ is the head of the man. Here's my point, ladies, you young ladies who aren't married yet. And you're going to be one these days. I don't care how hot the guy is. If he will not live as a Christian man, which means this, he will not submit to the headship of Christ. What does that mean? I'll give you concrete examples. If you marry a guy that says, I'm a Christian, but he's not going to baptize your children, he'll oppose it. Or he might say, I ain't going to church with you. I'll never go to church. I got more important things to do. He is not submitting his life to who? Christ, his head. This is a huge crisis in our country and the church. Men live, they live as if they don't have a head. They don't have to answer to anybody. Except. So that's an important point. 
So the head, the head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is her what? Her husband. I can turn these pages. Yeah, there we go. And the head of Christ is God. That's God the Father. Now let me illustrate the headship of God the Father to his son Jesus Christ real quickly. It doesn't mean that Jesus is unequal to his father according to their divinity. Both are 100% divine God. Both the Father, the Son, and as well the Holy Spirit. They're all three persons, divine God. One God, three persons. Now the fact that Jesus submits to his father as head does not mean that Jesus then is less divine than the father. Got that? What it means is that Jesus will do his father's will. Why? Because the father knows what's best. And the father knows what will save the world. And what's that? My son, I want you to take on the flesh of sinful humanity. And I want you to answer for it on the cross. I want you to take all that sin in your body. And I want you to suffer the damnation of hell in their place on the cross. And what does Jesus say? Remember? Not my will be done. Your will be done, Father. And he does it willingly. Does that make sense? Okay, so there's order. There is order, even in the Trinity, just like there is order in a marriage, just like there is order in the church, just like there is order in society. All this God has designed in nature, if you will. Any questions? I'll take a pause here and get a drink. Any questions? This is my water. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, now, having said all, no, no questions? I think now you begin to understand where, where this biblical teaching and all biblical, you know, just name it. This is why churches are growing <clears throat> in this country, because everything's out of order. And people want to live according to God's order, if they believe in God. They do. And that's why congregations like this are growing. That's, I, I'm fully convinced of this. Uh, the churches that don't teach the word of God on this topic and others, they're dying. The Episcopal Church in America, hemorrhaging. The Methodist Church in America, hemorrhaging. Why? Because they won't teach these things. They simply will not. The ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church, they will not. The Roman Catholic Church, they're all hemorrhaging. Okay? All of them. So what I'm teaching hopefully edifies you, and this is what attracts people. They want to have some kind of stability in their life, if you will. Let me continue to read top four. So she follows the husband's lead. The wife will trust him. Let him watch out for the traffic on the dance floor, using that analogy, if you will, some more, so that she can enjoy the dance. If two lead, they'll stumble. If one leads, they're not, or pardon me, if no one leads, they're not dancing. The subtlety of order is that you never get the glory. I'm going to read that again. The subtlety is that you never get the glory. The other one does. So to use the analogy of the dance, as we continue with this analogy, when the husband leads, who gets the glory? The wife. And when the wife follows, who gets the glory? The husband. See how this works? So the husband is saying, I'm going to lead and I'm going to take all the credit. Look at me. Nope. His constant concern is look at her. Pay attention to her. She gets all the glory. And brothers and sisters, that is what the biblical verb agape means. Love. That's what agape love means in the Bible. Okay. Next paragraph. Now our old Adam and our old Eve, that is to say our sinful nature, still at work in us. You know, we're not going to lose our sinful nature until we die and are buried six feet under. So it's the constant battle of the Christian man and woman. 
We don't want it that way. Instead, to quote Frank Sinatra, we want it my way. <laughs> Did, was the Corey Oaks thing done with Frank and Dean and all that stuff? Was that this, is Judy here? When is that, Judy? It was Friday night. How was it? It was great. Yeah, did they sing My Way by Frank? I'll, I'll do it my way. Yeah, my son was here, he could sing it better. All the way. But you understand the point. Let's keep going. It's all about, this is how the sinful nature lives. It's about me, my needs, my wants, and me being satisfied. And so what do we do? We want to control the other with power. We want to subdue the will of the other. We want to tear the other person down. We want to belittle and nibble at one another until marriage becomes, as one person put it, a long, simmering hostility with occasional moments of love. That's certainly not the way to dance, even if you're dancing the tango. <laughs> and certainly not the way that two are one flesh. So for the Christian then, the two become one flesh from Genesis 2, holds an even greater, higher, and deeper mystery than our own union as man and woman. If you'll look at verse, if you've got the, the text on the first page, look carefully again at verse 32. So Paul's talked about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord and respect them. So this marriage between a man and a woman reflects something else, another fact. And in verse 32, this is a profound mystery, the two becoming one flesh. I'm talking about Christ and the church. Paul's point is, is one of the reasons why God instituted marriage in the beginning is because it will reflect the marriage between Christ and his bride, the church. That's another mystery. Now let's look again at page four. It's the union of Christ and his church. Jesus leaves his father at the throne of heaven and his mother, that's Mary, where? At the foot of the cross. And he is joined as one flesh to his Eve, his bride, the church, drawn out of his wounded side in the water and the blood. And so the pattern of marriage on earth is the blueprint for Christ and his church, or flip it. For the Christian, whose eyes are fixed on Jesus, there is a pattern for marriage in our Lord's self-giving and the church's subordinate receiving. Christ the head, the church, his body, one flesh, indissoluble. This is a profound mystery, as the Apostle Paul said. We'd never have known that had not God revealed to us. Now let me say one other thing about this. Give me some names for, other names for the Lord's Supper. Say, the Lord's Supper, that's one name. What's another name for the Lord's Supper? Holy Eucharist. Eucharist, right? That means giving Holy thanks. Communion. What? Communion. communion. Holy communion. Thank you. So with the term holy communion, you have two words put together. And there's a reason for that. There's a co-union. When you go to holy communion, the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes to his bride, the church. And how does he treat her? Is this how the bridegroom talks when you come to communion? Get out of my face. I can't stand you. You make me sick. That's how a lot of husbands talk to their wives. And then the marriage crashes and burns, right? But not this marriage. This bridegroom comes to his bride, the church, and he says, Give me all your warts. Give me all your rot. Give me all your gunk. Namely, your sin. And I'll take it. 
and I'll cleanse you. There's a union. There is a one flesh union going on between the bridegroom and the bride when you go to Holy Communion. There is an intimacy going on where Christ gives you his body and his blood that he offered on the cross to win your salvation. This is how he takes care of his bride. <laughs> and so, I'm going to make another general sweeping statement and the jaws are going to hit the floor again. Maybe you'll pass out. Who knows? Um, ushers, are you ready to catch people? In any event, um, usually when there's not much love going on in a marriage, one of the symptoms, this isn't always the case, but one of the things that I try to diagnose is, is so when was the last time you went to communion together? My point is, is you learn, gentlemen, you learn to love your wife as you go to communion because the love for a, a bride by the bridegroom is modeled for you every time you come to communion. You following me? So just to pick on Monty for fun, he's easy to pick on. So if Monty wants to learn how to love his wife, Lene, even more, come to communion all the more because this is modeled how you are to live as a husband, how Christ treats his bride. Make sense? And then women, you, you ladies didn't learn how to live in a relationship with your husband in this way, to receive his giving. I mean, again, make another wide general statement is sometimes, because we, we are sinners, sometimes when the husband in love wants to give give to, her, to his wife, she's angry and hacked off, and she won't receive his love. Right? And that's in many in various ways. Okay? That can be intimate love. That can be other kinds of love, right? She won't receive it. She'll have nothing to do with it. So here's my point. Ladies, if you're struggling with this as a wife, learn from the church, the bride, the bride of Christ. Learn how to receive from a husband when he wants to give you his love in many and various ways. I hope this is somewhat helpful for you. That's the mystery, you see. Let's keep going. How am I doing on time, Ms. Kuhlman? A couple more minutes? Okay, let's see if I can finish this. So, of course, now, the world knows nothing of what I've just taught you from Ephesians 5. And that's not an exaggeration. Because the world deals only with the outside of holy things. What are those? My rights. My benefits. My privileges. I want to get married because I'll get it. Or I won't get married because of tax breaks. Social security benefits. Equality. Equal protection of the law. Now, here's my point. If that's all marriage is about... That's the way the world sees it. If that's all marriage is about, then you can define it however you want for whomever you wish. But that's just the outside of the house, if you will, the paint and the siding of the house. Legal rights and privileges have nothing to do with the essence. Are you listening? Those have nothing to do with the essence and the core or the mystery that is marriage. Now that's for the church to talk about and to proclaim, and that's what I'm doing in these classes. We don't need court rulings, we don't need petitions and changes in the political winds. We've got the word of God. And the word of God tells us what's going on in, with, and under this thing called marriage. So here's my point. I don't need to look to Justice Thomas and ask him what marriage is. I have the word of God. Now, Justice Thomas may give me the, the accurate definition according to the word of God. But my point is, is we have God's word. I don't have to go to Frank Schumer. Schumer or um, Governor Pillen, you know, to ask him what's marriage. We know what marriage is according to the word of God. Okay, let's keep going. There are two profound mysteries going on here. 
So under all this legal, legal mumbo jumbo of wedding licenses, marriage certificates, and all the ceremonies and impractical, impractical dresses. Aren't they impractical, ladies? You don't dress like that every day, do you, when you get married? <laughs> Brenda, do you dress like, are you in a wedding dress every day at work? No, you're not, that's my point. It's impractical. And guys in suits, they, they haven't worn since their proms. And all the lavish dinners and disc jockeys, under all that stuff, there lies a profound creative mystery of God, and it's this. Male and female in intimate communion with one another as one flesh. And one, one sidebar comment here. That is why when you go to a wedding, what's the guts of the wedding? It's to hear what? The word of God. <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a general statement here. Most people do not go to weddings to hear the word of God. They don't. Now learn differently. Next time you go to a wedding, you are there to listen to God's word and what he says about marriage. And that's what the couple is supposed to live according to. Am I making any kind of sense here? Okay. All right, let's keep going. So there's nothing like this in the world. We may have close, loving, committed friendships, fellowships, kinships, relationships. But brothers and sisters, nothing is like the union of a man and a woman. Adam and Eve as one flesh. The love that David had for his dear friend Jonathan, which according to the Bible says, exceeded that of the love of a man for a woman, could not be this one flesh. So this is the first mystery of marriage. It's a temporal mystery. Now the second is eternal. The one that transcends time and place that's found in Christ himself. Because he's the head of the church, his body, and he laid down his life for her. As the text says, he sanctified her, He's cleansed her. He's washed her with the water and the word, etc., etc. And that's what Jesus has done for you in your baptism as well. So I'm going to finish right there. Next week, I've got more. And here's what we're going to do next week. And I hope you'll come back. Maybe you'll never will, but maybe I'll be here by myself. So be it. Um, what we're going to do over the next week, we're going to look in particular, in particular what the scriptures say about husbands. I'm not sure how long that's going to take. And then we're going to look at what scripture specifically says about wives. Then we're going to look about fathers and mothers, raising children, etc., etc. So we're going to be here for a while. So fasten your seatbelts and buckle up because it's going to go really fast. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer.